0: Section 39 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lewis Heman, Louisville, Kentucky. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. By Charles F. Horne, Rossiter-Johnson, and john rudd charles the seventh issues his pragmatic sanction emancipation of the gallican church a d fourteen thirty eight by w h jervis and r f Rohrbacher. no two words says smedley convey less distinct meaning to english ears than pragmatic sanction Perhaps a well-considered ordinance may in some degree represent them, i.e. an ordinance which has been fully discussed by men practiced in state affairs. Carlyle defines pragmatic sanction as the received title for ordinances of a very irrevocable nature, which a sovereign makes in affairs that belong wholly to himself, or what he reckons his own rights. A dictionary definition calls it an imperial edict operating as a fundamental law. The term was probably first applied to certain decrees of the Byzantine emperors for regulating their provinces and towns, and later it was given to imperial decrees in the West. In the present case, it is applied to the limitations set to the power of the Pope in France. In the Council of Constance, 1414-1418, to 1418, at which decrees were passed subordinating the Pope as well as the whole Church to the authority of a general council, Gallican or French opinion on this subject won its first great victory. But this triumph introduced into the Western Church an element of strife which resulted in calamities scarcely less grave than those of the Great Schism of 1378-1417, to 1417, during which different parties adhered to rival Popes from the council of constance may be dated the formal divergence of the gallican from the ultramontane or strictly roman church government pope martin v who was elected by the council of constance after it had deposed john the twenty third gregory the twelfth and benedict the thirteenth is generally considered to have assented to all its decrees in 1431, on the death of Martin V, Eugenius the Fourth succeeded to the papal throne. A council had been convened at Pavia in 1423. After a few weeks, it was transferred to Siena, and subsequently to Basel. Fearing that it would follow the policy of Constance, Eugenius, 1431, attempted to dissolve it, and to have it reconvened at Bologna under his own eye a rupture followed between pope and council resulting in years of confused strife in all this confusion our historians jervis and Rohrbacher, distinguish the leading events the most significant of which was the issuing of the pragmatic sanction by charles the seventh of france this ordinance is known from the place of its promulgation as the pragmatic sanction of Borgias, and is sometimes called the Palladium of France, also the Magna Charta of the Gallican Church. W. Henley Jervis The position assumed by the Gallican Church at this junction was peculiar and, in some respects, questionable. It declared decidedly in favour of the Council of Basel, many french prelates repaired thither and ambassadors were sent by the king charles the seventh to pope eugenius to beseech him to support the authority of the synod and to protest against its dissolution. the fathers stood firm at their posts appealing to the principles solemnly asserted at constance that the pope is bound in certain specified cases to submit to an ecumenical council and that the latter cannot be translated prorogued or dissolved without its own consent the gift of infallibility they affirmed resides in the collective church it does not belong to the popes several of whom have erred concerning the faith the church alone has authority to enact laws which are binding on the whole body of the faithful now the authority of general councils is identical with that of the church This was expressly determined by the Council of Constance and acknowledged by Pope Martin V. The Pope is the ministerial head of the Church, but he is not its absolute sovereign. On the contrary, facts prove that he is subject to the jurisdiction of the Church, for well-known instances are on record of popes being deposed on the score of erroneous doctrine and immoral life, whereas no pope has ever attempted to condemn or excommunicate the church. Both the pope and the church have received authority to bind and loose, but the church has practically exerted that authority against the pope, whereas the latter has never ventured to take any such step against the church in fine the words of christ himself are decisive of the question if any man neglect to hear the church let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican this injunction was addressed to st peter equally with the rest of the disciples the council proceeded to cite eugenius by a formal monition to appear in person at basel and on his failing to comply they signified that on the expiration of a further interval of sixty days, ulterior means would be put in force against him. Their firmness, added to the pressing solicitations of the Emperor Sigismund, at length induced the Pope to yield. He reconciled himself with the council in December 1433, acknowledged that it had been legitimately convoked, approved its proceedings up to that date and cancelled the act by which he had pronounced its dissolution elated by their triumph the basilian fathers commenced in earnest the task of church reform and passed several decrees of a character vexatious to the pope particularly one for the total abolition of annates a second breach was the consequence eugenius under pretence of furthering the negotiation then pending for the reunion of the greek and latin branches of the church published in fourteen thirty seven a bull dissolving the council of basil and summoning another to meet at ferrara the assembly at basil retorted by declaring the pope contumacious and suspending him from the exercise of all authority Both parties proceeded eventually to the last extremities. The council, after proclaiming afresh, as Catholic verities, that a general council has power over the Pope and cannot be transferred or dissolved but by its own act, passed a definitive sentence in its 34th session, June 25th, 1439, deposing Eugenius from the papal throne. The pope retaliated by stigmatizing the fathers of Basil as schismatical and heretical, canceling their acts, and excommunicating their president, the cardinal archbishop of Arles. Meanwhile, an energetic and independent line of action was adopted by the government in France. The crown, in concert with the heads of the church, availed itself of a train of events which had so seriously damaged the prestige of the papacy, to make a decisive advance in the path of practical reform, and to establish the long-cherished Gallican privileges on a secure basis. For this purpose, Charles VII assembled a great national council at Borgias in July 1438, at which he presided in person, surrounded by the princes of his family, and by all the most eminent dignitaries, spiritual and temporal. And here was promulgated the memorable ordinance known as the Pragmatic Sanction of Borgias. The French Church, it must be observed, did not recognize the deposition of Pope Eugenius, but adhered to his obedience, rejecting Felix V, whom the Council of Basel elected to succeed him as a pretender. It continued, nevertheless, to support the Council and to assert its supreme legislative authority. Hence, there arises a considerable difficulty in limine as to the character of the proceedings at Burgess. For the deposition of Eugenius was either a rightful and valid exercise of conciliar authority, or it was not. If it was not, if the council had wrongfully or uncanonically condemned the successor of Peter, how could it be infallible? And when should its legislation, in any other particulars, be indisputable? On the other hand, if the deposition was a valid one with what consistency could the french continue to regard eugenius as their legitimate pastor it was a naughty dilemma the position however though logically open to objections was not without its practical advantages for since france maintained a good understanding with both the contending parties both found it conducive to their interests to send deputations to the council of borgias pope eugenius with a view to obtain its support for the rival council which he had opened at ferrera the fathers of basle in order to make known their decrees which as agreeing with the received doctrine of gallican theologians would it was hoped meet with a cordial welcome throughout france the assembly at bourges did not fail to profit by these exceptional circumstances it accepted the decrees of basle yet not absolutely but after critical examination and with certain modification a course which by implication asserted a right to legislate for the concerns of the french church even independently of a general council acknowledged to be orthodox the following explanation of this proceeding was inserted in the preamble of the celebrated statute agreed upon by the authorities at burgess it is there stated that this policy was adopted not from any hesitation as to the authority of the Council of Basil to enact ecclesiastical degrees, but because it was judged advisable under the circumstances and requirements of the French realm and nation, end quote. so that it appears on the whole that while the French professed great zeal on this occasion for the dogma of the superiority of a general council over the Pope, the principle practically illustrated at Borgias was that of a supremacy of a national council over every other ecclesiastical authority. Such were the anomalies which arose out of the strange necessities of the time. The pragmatic sanction of Borgias embraces 23 articles. The first treats of the authority of general councils, and of the time and manner of convening and celebrating them the second relates to ecclesiastical elections which are enjoined to be made hereafter in strict accordance with the canons by the cathedral collegiate and conventual chapters reserves annates, and expective graces are abolished the rights of patrons are to be respected provided their nominees be graduates of the universities and otherwise well qualified the pope retains only a veto in case of unfitness or uncanonical election, and the nominations to benefices in curia facantia, i.e. of which the incumbents may happen to die at Rome, or within two days' journey of the pontifical residence. The king and other princes may occasionally recommend or request the promotion of persons of special merit, but without threats or violent pressure of any kind other articles regulate the order of ecclesiastical appeals which with the exception of the causa majores specified by law and those relating to the elections in cathedral and conventual churches are henceforth to be decided on the spot by the ordinary judges appeals are to be carried in all cases to the court immediately superior no case to be referred to the pope omiso medio i.e. without passing through the intermediate tribunals. The remaining clauses consist of regulations for the performance of divine service and various matters of discipline. The reader will remember that Pope Eugenius, on the occasion of his temporary reconciliation with the Council of Basel in 1433, expressed his approbation of all its synodal acts up to that date, and this sanction of their validity is held by Gallicans to extend to the period of the second and final rupture in 1437. It follows that the provisions of the pragmatic sanction of Borgias, so far as they coincide with the decrees of Basil prior to 1437, were authorized by the Holy See, and this includes them all with two exceptions the pragmatic sanction was registered by the parliament of paris on july thirteenth fourteen thirty nine becoming thereby part of the statute law of france its publication caused universal satisfaction throughout the kingdom at rome on the other hand it was indignantly censured and resolutely opposed Eugenius the fourth vainly strove to obtain the king's consent to an alteration of some of its details. Nicholas the fifth protested against it without effect, but the superior genius and subtle measures of Pius the second were more successful. This pontiff denounced the pragmatic at the council of Mantua in fourteen sixty as quote, a blot which disfigured the church of France. A decree which no ecumenical council would have passed, nor any pope have confirmed. A principle of confusion in the ecclesiastical hierarchy. Since it had been in force, the laity had become the masters and judges of the clergy. The power of the spiritual sword could no longer be exerted, except at the good pleasure of the secular authority the roman pontiff whose diocese embraced the world whose jurisdiction is not bounded even by the ocean possessed only such extent of power in france as the parliament might see fit to allow him the ambassadors of charles the seventh however reminded his holiness that the pragmatic sanction was founded on the canons of constance and basil which had been ratified by his predecessors and when the pope proceeded to threaten france with the interdict and to prohibit all appeal from his decisions to a future council the king caused his procurer general jean to publish an official protest against these acts of violence concluding with a solemn appeal to the judgment of the church catholic assembled by the representation while awaiting that event Charles declared himself resolved to uphold the laws and regulations which had been sanctioned by previous councils. Louis the Eleventh, urged by alternate menaces, entreaties, and flattery from Rome, revoked the pragmatic sanction shortly after his accession. This step accorded well with his own arbitrary temper, for he could not endure the privilege of free election by the cathedral and monastic chapters. Nor was he less jealous of the influence exerted, under the shelter of that privilege, by the high feudal nobility in the disposal of church preferment. He seems to have expected, moreover, that while ostensibly conceding the right of patronage to the apostolic see, he should be able to retain the real power in his own hands. The event disappointed his calculations no sooner was the decree of borgias rescinded than the pope resumed and enforced his claim to the provision of benefices in france simony and the whole train of concomitant abuses reappeared more scandalously than ever and louis found himself despised by his subjects as the dupe of papal artifice the parliamentary courts meanwhile assumed a determined attitude in defense of the right of election guaranteed by the pragmatic sanction. They pronounced the abolition of that act illegal, and treated it as null and void. They insisted on their own authority in entertaining appeals against ecclesiastical abuses. They eagerly supported anyone who showed a disposition to withstand the pretensions of Rome in the matter of patronage. The king, smarting under the trickery of the pope, made no attempt to restrain them in this line of conduct, and the result was that the repeal of the pragmatic sanction was never fully executed, having never been legalized by the forms of the constitution. On the other hand, the popes so far maintained the advantage they had extorted from Louis that the ancient franchise of the church as to elections became virtually extinct in France. Things remained in this unsettled state during the reigns of Louis XI, Charles Eighth, and Louis Twelfth. The latter prince on coming to the throne published an edict re-establishing the pragmatic sanction, and this step, added to his ambitious enterprises in Italy, brought him into hostile collision with Pope Julius II the king unwilling to make war on the head of the church without some semblance of ecclesiastical sanction convoked a council at tours in september fifteen ten and consulted the clergy on a series of questions arising out of the disturbed state of his relations with rome they decided in accordance with the known views and wishes of the sovereign that it is lawful for an independent prince, if unjustly attacked, to defend himself against the Pope by force of arms, to withdraw for a time from his obedience, to take possession of the territory of the Church, not with the purpose of retaining it, but as a temporary measure of self-protection, and to resist the pretensions of the Pontiff to powers not rightfully belonging to him. Citations to appear in Rome might under such circumstances be safely disregarded, as also papal censures, which would be null and void. If the emergency should arise, the council added, the king ought to be governed by the ancient principles of ecclesiastical law as confirmed and reenacted by the pragmatic sanction. The Gallican clergy sent a deputation to pope julius on this occasion to entreat him to adopt a more conciliatory policy toward the princes of christendom and they determined in case their advance should be fruitless to demand the convocation of a general council to take cognizance of the pope's conduct and prescribe the measures necessary for the guidance and welfare of the church an ecclesiastical congress calling itself a council-general but altogether unworthy of that august title, was held, in fact, in the following year at Pisa, under the auspices of the King of France and the Emperor Maximilian. The Pope refused to appear there, and convoked a rival synod at Rome, summoning the cardinals who had authorized the meeting at Pisa to present themselves at his court within sixty days. On the expiration of this term, he publicly excommunicated them, degraded them from their dignity, and deprived them of their preferments. Thus the western church once more exhibited the spectacle of a house divided against itself, as during the scandalous strife between the synods of Basil and Florence. And for some time a formal schism appeared imminent. The so-called council of Pisa consisted of the four rebellious cardinals, twenty gallican prelates, several abbots and other dignitaries, the envoys of the King of France, deputies from some of the French universities, and a considerable number of doctors of the Faculty of Paris. This assembly justified its position on the ground that there are extraordinary cases in which a council may be called without the intervention of the Pope and that since the present pontiff had neglected to obey the decree of the council of constance which enjoined a similar celebration at the interval of every ten years the cardinals were bound to take the initiative in the matter according to a solemn engagement which they had made in the conclave when julius was elected after repeating the stereotyped formula concerning the supreme authority of general councils and the imperative necessity of a reformation of the church in its head and in its members, the fathers addressed themselves professedly to the Herculean task thus indicated. But little or nothing was effected of any practical importance.